This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. I am Mike Kazaza, welcoming in Chris Anderson. Chris, uh... Uh, uh, 10 down, 2 to go. Is that the best we can do right now? Probably. It's um, It's been like a parade of of difficult conversations and podcasts after games and on these Monday mornings that we do stuff because people are, are concerned or mad. I feel like it's been going that way for a while. And so abruptly after the Iowa State win, too, that you, you kind of thought, whoa, this is maybe going back in a good direction. This may be more of what everybody had in heart and mind. And then the last two games have been really discouraging. And we've done this more <laughs> than we've done the alternative in two-plus seasons now. It does get difficult. Sometimes people do not want to feel bad for sports writers, and I don't think anybody should. Pretty easy gig, pretty good gig, I guess. Easy isn't the right word because that's the point I'm trying to make here that, man, it can be hard sometimes to continually face the same questions and answers. And you don't really have an answer. I'm supposed to be the answer bringer or the question asker. And, and how many times can you ask the same question and how many times can you deliver the same answer when that's not changing anything? It's not really our responsibility to, but man, it does get difficult sometimes. Yeah. And especially, God, I, we're going all the way back to the first game, I think we said, this, these are the same mistakes with the same people in the same game as last year. And like I said, 10 games down. And, and I feel like we've had that same conversation in the, in the post-game podcast six times, seven times already this year. Um, really trying not to be repetitive, but I think that's what's most frustrating for most, most people watching this team is that it is the same players making the same mistakes and getting the same results. Yeah. Our symptom is the illness, you know, like the, the stuff that we continue to say or or the points that we make, they make you roll your eyes in your head or just huff <sighs> again. That's kind of indicative of the of the situation at large here. And I went back and this is um, after the Oklahoma State game. I listened to the I was trying to find something in the Maryland postgame podcast and I went back and I listened to it. And then I some of the comments were, as you said, like, man, it's first game. Yeah, it's mistakes, but it's not the same mistakes just here. It's the first game. You know, be careful here. And I thought that was a, probably a decent point at the time, but I wonder if we were so so smart or if we could have known that we were going to be so accurate. This would be a thing this team has done repeatedly for, for 10 games now. And not only that, but like for, for a lot of people, repeating the errors too because it's the same players making the same mistakes, and that's, that's bad too. So um, I don't know. Uh, basketball season arrives sooner than ever these days because of how long the season is and how much they want to get on TV. But it does feel like the past couple seasons, basketball is kind of – kind of been that thing people have reached for. I think it's probably the same this year, too. You don't have the NBA talent necessarily, but I think people are curious about the basketball team. And what's encouraging to me, and I think probably to people, too, is you're seeing a coach who has changed. And the transfers, I don't know how good Polycap, Kerrigan, and Curry are going to be every night, but I know that Huggins 
is at least going to find out those guys are out there in the portal and he brought them in and did something with it. And then you're going to see, you know, 15 players realistically, probably 12, maybe 13. Uh, you're going to play 10, 11 at night and he's going to reward people for playing well. And obviously his thing is to punish people, not punish people, but playing time is punitive. And if you don't play well or you don't practice, you're not going to play very well. And these guys respond to that. So I think that's what's, what's curious about putting these two side by side. And maybe it's unfair, but basketball is adaptive and it's making changes and the game or the sport is changing around the coach or the team or the roster. And it's different than it was when we last saw it against Syracuse, maybe in a good way too, but also the team plays different and it plays around personnel and has some different combinations and possibilities. I think that excites people, but probably also angers people a little bit too, because why can't that happen with a much bigger roster, greater luxuries on the football field? Yeah, that's uh, heck. That's been half the questions for most of the year of, of why is there not more accountability? Why is the the excuse for certain guys not playing being that they are not performing in practice? When you can point at the guys who are playing in the games and saying, "Hey, they're not performing in the games," um, and that is a good question that I don't think particularly has been answered yet. So. I'm going to write this later today. I've spun it around in my head a little bit. I'm not going to answer it, but I'm going to put you on the spot, But even though I kind of told you what I'm doing here. But two games, listen, there, there is something to play for. Not losing to Texas and not losing to Kansas, which are oddly on the same on the same shelf right now. Who, who saw that coming, right? But not losing those games, winning, but also getting to a bowl game, you can still get to seven wins. Right now, that's important. In the beginning of August, that's not important. But things change. So there is something to play for there, too. But if you step back, I don't know how many paces or how many yards or days or months, but let's just say that the final two games of the regular season happen, maybe three in the in the postseason. But you pick up football again right before spring football. You're going to remember something or some combination of things in the final three games. What do you think? is on the line and what do you think has to be proven across this final two slash three games i think everything's kind of on the line which seems strange talking about a four and six team and debating whether or not they're going to get to six and six or five and seven or seven and five whatever or seven and six excuse me um because i think you have to be able to see there's a plan there's a plan in place. There's uh, hope for next season. I think it, it was kind of sad seeing some of the, uh, not not that the questions were sad, but it, it's kind of sad to think that this is the mindset right now in the fan base of give me hope for next year. What's the hope for next season? Can I find hope for next season? And there need, I think to get that hope, you need to have a plan. You need to get wins. You need to show that you're adapting and you're going to finish off these games because we saw it, and we've talked about it before. The 2019 season, that team went five and seven, and I think most people forget that that team went five and seven, and lost five straight games at one point, mm-hmm. and I think four of those um, were really not, or three of those were like not even close. Maybe even four depends on how you look at that Texas game, and people kind of forget and think that was a pretty good team. It's like they went five and seven. They went five and seven and got blown out multiple times. It was not a good team, but you think it was a good team because they won two of three, were competitive in the third, 
Um, I think they were competitive in like three or four games against top 25 teams in that season. And you saw promise. You ended on a high note. You made the quarterback change, and Jared Thagey looked like he could do something that you hadn't seen for the first nine games from Austin Kendall. What, what What's that? The, the the question for me is, what's that change? Who's who's the new Jared Diggy? Who's going to give you hope? Now, granted, Jared Diggy, who, again, has been okay this season. Not great. Okay. Above average, even. But who's the Jared Diggy this year? What's the change that you're making in these final couple games that gives the fan base hope and makes them believe that you're willing to make changes and try to make this team better and, and next year is going to be the year? Interesting, interesting times, and then the old off season, the carousel starts spinning. This is going to be, I would say, probably a newsy off season here. Probably no way to avoid that either when you when you have this track record right now too. Um, I think that's enough of an introduction. We have plenty of questions here that are going to really probably spin off what we just talked about for both for basketball and football. So I say we get into it. Uh, questions from subscribers we answer here on this episode. Chris comes in, cleans out the mess that we make in a written form with whatever's left over. Take it away. All right, first question from Mountaineer Musket Man. Which Matt Wells had the tougher job? Shout out to Matt Wells. I think this is his third appearance on the podcast this year. Um, the coach fired from Texas Tech, or are Matt Wells trying to sell slash renew season tickets for next season? The downloads go up when Matt Wells is on the, on the pod. <laughs> it's a fact. Uh, and he's, man... That would indicate he has fans. He's going to need them, right? This is going to be difficult. I'm sure that they have a plan, campaign. They'll get some videos and some some poster art. They'll get their creative think tank going, but it's going to be difficult because um, have you seen that schedule for next year? It's bad. It's real bad. Yeah. Um, it was only one home game in non-conference. Which is 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 a problem. Is you know you never want that. It just kind of happened this time. But that one home game and it's Towson. Yeah. And then I think what Texas is away. It's it's reverse of whatever it is this year. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you end up having Oklahoma, but you're gonna have Kansas, Kansas State, TCU. Like those are your those are your home games with Towson. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not great, Chris. No. Um, not that, but you're. The big games next season are certainly a non-conference play, not Towson. So, like, hey, cool, Pitt's back uh, at Pitt. Towson. And here's the other part, too. They Their open week, I think, is the second week of the season, correct? For WVU? I'm trying to remember if I saw this. Are they Here we go. Uh, Saturday, September 3rd is at Pitt. Um, September 17th is Towson. Virginia Tech is the 24th. So you might have an open week. At week two, or they don't have the conference game set. You get a conference game in week two. And, man, if that's Oklahoma, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> because, one, they they typically – they I was looking at this. I was surprised. They played Oklahoma early in the season quite a bit. Now, we remember some games, I don't know, with some mistakes, I would say, against Oklahoma late in the season. But I was wondering about that. Like, that September 10 game, that could be a conference game. And, I don't know, likely at home. So that narrows it down because, again, your home games are Baylor, Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma, TCU. But, man, you got a home game in conference play in week two. That's difficult because you're just not hitting your stride yet. And, hey, old adage, you're better between your first and second game. So maybe they want to get Oklahoma there too. But, man, you just think about 
late season games and, and the stuff that gets fans going. Typically, you like to have your big games at home late. Maybe that's not the case, but just kind of roll your eyes at that. Towson, Baylor, Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma, TCU. Um, that's pretty thin. That's going to be difficult there, too. And to answer the question, yeah, one Matt Wells got fired. The other one isn't. Promise you that. Uh, that's not his fault, whatever happens here. But the other thing is, too, that it, it's sliding everywhere, so you're probably going to be flat at best in a lot of years. You might have a small dip. You might have a small increase. But, like, you're going to notice – season tickets when they go down because frankly of seasons like this and of a lack of star power or things that just generate excitement or anticipation for people who are willing to pay the price or to go the distance literally to make it happen it's difficult here i understand that but there's a carrot that teams football teams can drag over people i just don't see that right now uh, this is going to be related to to this and it's another question on this is from kp callahan West Virginia hires you as a consultant to help them craft the campaign to sell season tickets in 2022. Let's hear it. And why would I buy for the first time? And we have discussed this. I was trying to remember which scenario it was because I said, I hate to be the guy that's going to put this out there. And if West Virginia does it, everybody's going to hate me. I think it was for 2027 or something like that. They were just going to have, yeah, it's like VMI in Ohio for the two home non-conference games. And You said, how, you know, how are you going to sell season tickets for that? And I said, you tie them to the tickets for the home opener against Alabama the year before. That's how you do it. Like you have to, you know, if you want first crack at those Alabama tickets in 2026, you got to have season tickets for 2027 somehow. And I'm trying to think of a scenario here. How do you tie that for 2022 and 2023? Maybe your 2022 season tickets come with, a ticket for the pit game in 2023 cuz that's that's home in 2023 against pit I, I that that would be my move you you have to tie it to something because we we've just, I mean it, it should be very obvious Towson Kansas Kansas State Baylor TCU uh, I mean in Oklahoma yeah like that's not a very enticing home schedule who who's chunking up a lot of money for that um I think very, and especially with the way the program is going currently, it's just, it's going to be hard sell. So I think you have to tie it to something that's even more enticing. And it might be that pit game, that pit home game in 2023. I love it. I think it's a great idea. I don't know if they're, if they can do that or want to do that. Like, I think it's a good idea. And if you, if you do it early, you might be more receptive later on. So your idea about Alabama is terrific. Uh, trademark you on that one, I think, but man, do it before that and maybe get more people to invest in that. Like you're going to, you're not going to need people to invest in that Alabama game, but like you might have more people who would do that just to get involved in the games before that too. Um, that's good. Um, do you think they could license? Mama said, knock you out. Do a little comeback season next year. Right. I mean, yeah. acknowledge, acknowledge that you're about four and eight, five and seven, whatever, six and seven, seven and six. But um, I think that you would have to do something to, separate yourself from trust the climb and i know that's sacrilege and that sounds strange but like i'm not trying to be demeaning here but you get to climb for so long and i think that message would have to change so you'd have to have something that's like sharp and fresh and and gets people to i would say not like roll their eyes at the message anymore because i think the you sometimes can get like a, a saturation of something like a, a really catchy and appropriate trust the climb and if that's been your mantra for so long and it's gotten you to to this point, whatever whatever this is, I'm waving my arms, but like if you get to this point with that, 
then you're going to have to do something different to get people to believe something different will follow, which is kind of the essence of this too. And it's not just a unique challenge of West Virginia. Season tickets are dipping everywhere too. Very rare and obvious um, outliers there too. And West Virginia just isn't one of those schools for, for different reasons, not just the on the field. There's, there's myriad factors there that work against WVU and other schools. So if you can do something snappy to make people kind of um, shake off whatever indifference or, or numbness that they may have developed, because those are the people you really got to target. You might get some new people, but you really don't want people falling off. You don't want people who are becoming just eh about things. So whatever your marketing, your messages has to be different, has to look different. So that's good, too. And then, man, I feel like they got to do some sort of a carousel in the offseason, too, where I'm not saying engage and, and back channel conversations with reporters, but you might have to have a press conference or a Zoom with the athletic director or the head coach and not in the give me my pound of flesh that fans are probably going to want but hey we know this isn't good and here's how we're going to fix her hey we know this isn't good and this is how we feel about it and you could do that in a bunch of different ways you can do it very publicly where you know you have a forum do you have like town halls with your head coach your ad i don't know about that but you know they they know how to get the message out and i don't think just something about here's a twitter graphic with a, a quote about vote of confidence or this isn't good enough is going to do it. You really have to have answers and questions and a conversation about it too, because I think if you can engage with people on that stuff, it makes them feel like that you really are a part of it. And one of the big, big side effects, I think of West Virginia moving to the big 12. And that's just the inception point was that fans feel like they're less a part of it. Now the home games aren't, are, are not against teams are familiar with necessarily even this late, you know, you can't go to as many row games. The bowl situation is just all screwed up. And because you get so much money for just being in a conference, season tickets and single game tickets don't really matter that much. Prices go up. The return on investment does not. And, man, if you can just find a way to incorporate fans and supporters, I think you're going to go a long way toward helping. Uh, uh, your, your point there about the, the change in conference and the way fans feel, speaking from the site and, and the just uh, you know what I, I thought I saw from fans and heard, it was different playing tech in Maryland this year. Like, oh, our, like for, for instance, like our numbers on our site, like I get that it was like early in the season and football's back in full this year and everything like that. But you compare those numbers like on our site to other games, not just this year, but last year and even the year before and way bigger engagement from fans on our site, way bigger um, for the tech game, for the Maryland game, even though Maryland, it was at Maryland. Fans were just more invested because it was those teams, because it was teams they were familiar with. It was teams that they kind of, you know, have feelings for, feelings against, really. And I think you have a really good point there, that once you move to the Big 12 Conference, this becomes more of a of a business kind of thing, even for the fans. And it's just not, they're not as invested as they would be playing, you know, teams that they grew up hating and, and rooting against. So, um that's part of it. Something else I was thinking about when I was talking about tying the season tickets to something else to try and entice you. Can we do cross sports promotions? Yes. You know, like, I mean, when I was thinking basketball, that's obvious, but what about to help like with the other sports too? Like the, the ones that maybe don't get as many fans that probably deserve more fans, like women's soccer, baseball, you come by, you buy football season tickets and it is, you know, wrapped up with 
an all sports season ticket package or something like that. I mean, I don't know how much I, I know a lot of times it's just come on out to the ballpark and it's really not that expensive or if it even charged tickets for some things. But what do you think on that a little cross sport promotion? So how about this? You get like, let's just say 100 ticket points and a football ticket is uh, 25 and a basketball ticket's 15 and um, soccer's 10, baseball's five, something like that. Could you categorize your sports and make it like a la carte? Like you can buy, it would be like a vacation club. You can buy mm-hmm. so many points and you can spread them out to different things. And that would that would give you year-round fans that can't do, I don't know, six, seven football games or won't do six, seven football games. But here's someone who can come up once or twice a year in the fall, once or twice a year in the winter. And then, you know what, summer, spring, I guess, nothing going on. I miss my Mountaineers. Let me go catch some baseball games with a diamond too. Well, I can because I only used 50 points during the football season. Uh, I only used, what did I say basketball was, 15? Yeah. <laughs> I only used 30 points during basketball. Hey, I got 20 points left. I'll go and I'll go to four four baseball games. I think that'd be a cool idea. And I don't know if you could do it, though, because what's the infrastructure like there? Man, that isn't. I don't care about that. Just make it work. Find it. I mean, if you if you've got a cool idea like that that would help you and, and would and would find a way to like just be different and unique, I think you should do that. I'm not I'm not accusing WB of not doing that. I have no idea what their ideas are. But I've often thought about that like a, a point system where you get to use it year round because not everybody's gonna be willing or able to do seven football games or what is it, nineteen basketball games, something like that. It's more than that. Yeah. It's, um, it's it's just too hard to do. It's too much of a demand. But like that's the thing; it's a demand. Like the world has changed, you know, prices have gone up, and, and a season ticket X number of years ago it was just not the same as a season ticket right now. It's too hard, and it's the the process doesn't care. It just asks you to commit to it. It doesn't bend for you. Now, WV does cool stuff with mini packages. I think that's great. I think that's a really good zag. Um, so that's that shows the capability to be different. But I've thought about that for a while about. Let people buy points in whatever increments, and you can add to your pool at the end of a year, maybe during a season. I don't know, but let them have a four-season possibility where I can only do this and this and this, but I want to be involved. Hey, we got you. Let's make it work. Timestamp this. Make sure we get our we get our cut, our royalties from this plan. All right. Yes. <laughs> um. Okay. Yeah, I kind of like that idea. Like you donate, you donate, you make a donation of X thousands of dollars or whatever where you you purchase yeah i like that you buy a pool of points so that's a good idea i got you don't i look at you you're spinning yeah yeah, yeah. okay um all right uh speaking of money and decisions and off seasons uh this one from preston county um again uh, he says can you walk us through some of the financial considerations that shane Lyons will have to make when deciding whether to fire brown or continue to invest in him the cost of firing um, somewhat straightforward buyout, remaining salary, et cetera, et cetera, cost of new staff. Uh, but the cost of keeping Brown, if he continues to struggle, are a little harder to parse. How costly are crowds of 42,000 at Mountaineer Field to the budget? How much do we rely on donations and how quick are our major donors to turn on coaches? Mike. Yeah, so that's that's the big thing. I would not concern yourself on attendance and season tickets. It Optically, it matters. Sure, you don't want empty stadiums and you don't want – um, nobody wants to go where no one goes. Like there's that old Yogi Berra thing about like no one goes there anymore. It's too crowded. 
similarly, no one goes to an empty restaurant because there's no word of mouth, right? And if you see, if you continually walk by and you look in the window and there's nobody there, that can't be any good. The same applies to football season. If no one's there, something's going wrong. Yeah, it's supposed to be something that people look forward to six, seven Saturdays a year. So if no one's going, that's bad. Um, it, it looks bad when you have people on Twitter saying, here's the, here's the photo of the stands of the student section five minutes before kickoff. No one has to tell you that. Financially, I don't, just don't know if that matters that much anymore because, again, you get so many millions and millions of dollars for just being in the Big 12. Um, you don't have to qualify for a bowl game to make money on bowl revenue because revenue sharing. So the problem is, if you want to extend it a little bit, say this does go belly up for a couple of years and you're, you're averaging – and there's no precedent for this, right? So I would not assume it's going to happen. But you average like forty-four thousand a year for a couple of years. Yeah, you're going to fire your coach because not because the attendance is bad, but because the product he's put out there has produced that type of attendance. So the bad football, not the bad attendance, is going to be the problem. But if you're realigning conferences and your football programs in a tailspin, and there's no support. It's really hard to make an argument that you draw eyeballs. Right. So that's that that does matter. I think I just don't know that the financial part really matters too much anymore. It used to be that season tickets for football paid the scholarship bill. It's still a big chunk of money. But if it's going down, they've had to they've had to find ways to get money and use money elsewhere. But they get a lot of money from being in the Big 12. That's not going to change as long as they're in the Big 12. The buyout stuff is I, I just that's so premature, Chris. I feel even like we're doing it. But, yeah, they owe him every penny. Um, that he's due for a while. I want to say it's the first three years of his contract. Is that right? And then it's 85 after the fourth. And then I I, I honestly haven't even looked that up because I never wrote the story, but like that's not even on my mind right now. And then if you're worried about assistant coaches, yeah, there's 10 on the staff. Seven of them have expiring contracts after the season. Um, We reported that in February. So if by chance that they did something between February and now, which is possible, and they extended everybody who had one year and gave them two years, well, then you'd have 10 coaches, which would be a ridiculous commitment. But I think just seven coaches are expiring contracts, so you don't have to worry about that. And then if you're if you're concerned about who it is and you're, let's say you hate the offense, all the offensive coaches are on expiring contracts. So you wouldn't have to fire anybody if you had to fire everybody on offense because their contracts just go away. If you're thinking about, well, I wish Neil Brown would hire an offensive coordinator. You do that, you're going to, have to pay some money. Sure, um, you're probably going to, have to let that guy pick a bunch of his staff, if not all of his staff. Well, you could do that. You don't have to worry about the expense. You could hire an offensive coordinator and say, "Hey, you got four other spots you want to fill because we don't have coaches on that side of the ball. We'd like you to retain one guy, this guy. Think about him, whatever. But like, it's up to you. Well, you can do that. You don't have to keep somebody because he's under contract and you're financially pinched because all five coaches on offense are on expiring contracts. So. Finances are not an excuse. It's just not. Like, I understand that the, the pandemic was tough everywhere. I get that. But, like, again, you, you got into this contract because you can get out of this contract I mean, at some point. It's too soon, I think, to do that. The the, the price tag for Fire and Brown now is is ridiculous. But Top top 10. Yeah. That, probably that, yeah, probably premature, too, I would think, to, to even think about it just because the I just think it would be a bad look a year after a contract extension to fire somebody. Um, but also – when I say finances too, like you have a lot of money. And I said this before, like you don't agree to that contract unless you have faith, assurances, whatever you can get out of that contract, which leads me to your other point about that question about donors. That's the unspoken. You have to, you have to pay attention. If you're someone like Lyons or Guy or whomever is the, the, the head of the table here when it comes to a decision like that, 
sooner or later, if you want to write that check, you have to call some people and and ask if they can help you with the ink, so to speak. And those people have got to be saying yes. And those are people you have to talk to now. That's that's major college football and major college athletics. Now you got to have donors. And if they sour on things, one of two things can happen. Like sour on him. Hey, I got you. Fire this guy after season X, whatever. I got you. But if if you don't engage those people or make them important too, when the time comes for you to do it, they might not be there. And if they're so turned off or they have such a distaste for what they're watching on the field at a school they really want to support and they're not being paid attention to or they're seeing it go in a direction that they worried and they tried to warn you, they're not going to be there to bail you out as much, if not at all. That is a thing you probably have to worry about. And I just I just don't know if that happens right now because it's too close a proximity for me to think that that would happen um, to the point of those type of people giving Lions and Gee and whoever else assurances that they would be there if it mattered. Because this extension isn't even a year old. I'm with you. I Firing and buying out and all that stuff is not really on my mind at all. Like it, I haven't thought about the, the nuances of it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we we made this point a couple of times ago that you don't put the buyout where it is unless you can afford the buyout period. I mean, it's still like was stunning to me that it was top 10 in the country. Um, uh, biggest buyouts at the moment. Some of that is the recency of it. Uh, you know, it's like TV deals. The the more recent, the extension, the higher the buyout, obviously. So he, he's one of the few guys who got an extension this off season. So his buyouts higher. That's just kind of how it works. So not something, really on my mind but as far as buyouts and goes west virginia would pay it if it came to that and that's the end of it i don't think it's, it's come to that but it would if it needed to be um you want to get to actually i'm looking at the number here it's 100 percent of his salary after the first four years 85 percent after the fifth year so a lot of money um yeah. and it, that's that's an unusual thing i think when you're talking about your top 10 buyouts um a lot of the times when you think about buyouts you think about just a flat figure Kudos to Neil Brown's agent for getting um, salary owed because listen, a contracted employee like a head coach is going to be like, well, I want to continue to work here. Just because you don't want me to continue to work here doesn't mean that you shouldn't pay me. So uh, kind of a simple um, principle applied there. But listen, if you're bad at your job, you can still have a good payday too. It's crazy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ready to move to actual on-field discussion? Let's go. All right. Uh, this one, I thought this was a good one from Schmalz08 Schmalls WVU. Do you guys believe it is as important to protect redshirts in this new environment? There's no guarantee that guys are going to stay in this transfer portal world. Mike? I mean, if a guy's not ready to play, don't play him. But if you got a guy who can play as a true freshman, like, go do it. I, I think that's a great point because you might not have him and you're investing in it. And I just think it's different for offensive linemen and maybe defensive linemen, perhaps a quarterback too. But I think if you're good enough to play as a true professional, why wouldn't you play? Because yeah, the chances are like clearly you're not going to be here for four years. And this is a different thing, but like a same idea, like I'm, I'm an advocate for just give everybody five years. Everybody's like, well, you're going to have 50 year seniors and guys who play five years. Not really. Like if you're good enough to play 
as a true freshman, um, you're probably not going to be playing four full years in college. You might be out of here after three. You can graduate after three for sure now. But also, if you're going to play, if you're going to play five years in college, like, and you have that ability, you're not going to play five years. You're probably going to be good enough to go pro after four if you have like five full seasons to play. So, I just think that players are so developed when they come in now. Physically, they've got a lot of preparation from camps and spring football and high school and the and the circuits and the off season that they're good. Yeah, tougher on offensive linemen, but like running backs, cornerbacks, safeties, just just play. Uh, I'd let it go. Again, I'm I'm an advocate for the five game rule. I think that would or five year rule. I think that would probably solve a lot of this. But if we're gonna have this four game thing, let guys go. Like look how pinched West Virginia is right now in their secondary because of this too. Just it's a strange thing to me. But because these guys may just disappear because they can transfer freely, what are you waiting on? You're you're bringing them here to play. Let them play. Would you like to take a guess at how many redshirt seniors are currently on this roster that that started and stayed with West Virginia? So all all this is their fifth year, and it's their fifth year at West Virginia. Is it two? I got one. Sean Mahone. I thought there was a second that that you know played in that game a while ago. But according to the roster that I'm the official WV roster I'm looking at right now, that's it. Evan Staley. Oh yeah, Evan Staley. Okay, but you know I he, he well he didn't start on scholarship, so I was I don't okay. think I counted him. I mean he okay. eventually got on scholarship, but I was I was looking just at scholarship guys. Yeah, but yeah, that's it. Yeah, I mean uh, for the the for this discussion, we're talking about guys on scholarship that you bring in as a freshman that you need to play, and there is one redshirt senior on the roster. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a little light, I think, just because of coaching change that happened in between those five years, stuff like that, but. It, it's still to your point, like Max, you're going to end up with like two or three of those guys. Most of the guys, if they are that good, they're going to be gone before then. If they're not playing, they're going to be gone before then. So play them, play them, play them, play them, play them. I would basically only redshirt guys that are absolutely not ready at all. And, and there should only be a couple of those guys because one, one you know, if, if you're recruiting guys that are just not ready to play college football, you're not doing a good job recruiting. I think the only time you're really doing that is with um, project-type guys, offensive linemen, defensive linemen that just really have to bulk up their body, change their body a little bit, their body composition. Um, but other than that, you need to be recruiting guys that are almost ready to play, fringe ready to play. And if they're fringe ready to play, just play them. There is no point in redshirting them and trying to keep them for five years. Yeah, I'm not sitting here right now and be like, well, we could solve this problem, but I'd much rather have this guy in 2026. Right. <laughs> right. It's not going to happen, man. I guess 2025 would be my answer there, too. Uh, and, and the other part about this is, too, is you'll know on guys sooner if you play them. Like, yeah. you, you make recruiting decisions saying, well, this guy's going to be a redshirt freshman or this guy's going to be a redshirt sophomore. I haven't played very much. We're not going to go get this guy. You might have answers to those questions. You might not miss as much, too. I would, I would just play more in general. But I would also give everybody five years, too. Next question from Alaric, and we're going to kind of amend it here. Um, he asked, how would you rank the Big 12 quarterbacks who took the field this past Saturday? In other words, if you and Mike were picking a team to play against each other in 2022, who would you pick 1 through 10? So we're going to go – we're not going to do 1 through 10, but we are going to each pick – we're not going to – we can pick the same, but we're going to try not to – a starter and a backup. If we had to pick – if we were drafting a team to win one game – this coming Saturday, and we had to have a quarterback from the Big 12, who would you pick to start? Who's your backup? Man. 
Like, I think I know my answer, and it's not very fun. But, like, I, I can't get around it. Like, because his team hasn't been great. And when I saw him earlier this season, I didn't think much of him. But, man, I just, I would probably trust Brock Purdy most. Yeah. Which is crazy because I don't like him at West Virginia when he played here, and like I, the the parts that I saw him, but I mean he's had a he's had a pretty fair season again too, and that's experience, and and he can do the things that I think really matter. I'm not sure what's going on with that team this year, except that I know they lost here and they gave up 38, so that wasn't good for their defense. But their offense has been an issue too. It's kind of a one man gang with Brees Hall, and and then if they can hit big plays, but you know his numbers have been pretty good. He's at 2,400 yards, 15 touchdowns, six picks. He threw two last week, so he's doing pretty good there. Um, completing like well over 70% of his passes. I would pick him one. I have an idea for my backup, but who would your starter be? Uh, I My debate, and maybe it'll be your same number two, but my debate is do I start Brock Purdy or do I start Skylar Thompson? Like that's my that's my one-two. You did I'm it. I'm not sure which yeah. way I want to go. Like <laughs> I, I honestly, like I, I I think anybody who's listened to this podcast for a, for a while knows my love-hate relationship going on with Purdy right now because every time I think he's great, he ends up sucking. Every time I talk about how he screwed me, then he ends up being great. So I'm not sure how I feel about him, but he's right there, and I'm trying to decide between him and Skylar Thompson because I believe Thompson gives me the nice dual threat. He's got a good head on his shoulders. He can make the plays when I need him to. He cannot screw up. You know, he, He's not going to turn it over which I think is is what might give him the edge for me over Purdy. Because we've seen Purdy, he doesn't do it as often as some other quarterbacks in the league, but we've seen him fall apart, like, in a, in a single game. Like, he, he has probably the best ceiling or best arm talent or whatever of the guys that we're talking about right this very moment. He could probably have the best game on Saturday, but he could also have a game where he ends up throwing two, three picks and, and really struggling. So... I might lean Skylar Thompson if I had to, if, if it was one game and I had to win on Saturday and, and everything else on the team was equal, I might be leaning Skylar Thompson with, with Brock Purdy right behind him. So I thought about this Jalen Daniels. Oh, no. <laughs> well, I thought about the other quarterback in that game Saturday. Well, I guess one of the other quarterbacks, Casey Thompson has, has thrown 23 touchdown passes this year. Um, and he's played quite a bit. I think he's 10 games now too, but. I saw in the bowl game last year, I thought he was going to be like great this year. And he has been, but he has been able to hold off Hudson card, which is strange. I'm assuming we'll see Thompson starting Saturday. We can talk about Texas in a second here too. And then, you know, Caleb Williams, I don't know. Didn't look great last game. Got benched for Spencer Rattler. That wasn't good. My point here is that like, listen, and I'm obviously a well-known advocate of Skylar Thompson. I think I would probably go Bohannon second. I thought he was great Saturday against Oklahoma. I mean, probably the biggest moment of his career, and he was very good. Ran the ball over 100 yards, two touchdowns, but he's been accurate too. And that guy doesn't make big mistakes, except against the TCU game where he just right. threw that game away. They really should be, at this point, I would think it's fair to say, they should be 9-1. They should have had that TCU game because if I am if I had this right, all they had to do was kick a field goal to win that game, right? Yeah, they were in field goal range for the game winner and elected to throw on first down, even though they were averaging over five yards per carry. And he threw a pick. Yeah, so that's on him, but also maybe he or shouldn't excuse be. Excuse me, second that. down, sorry. Okay, so that's on him. Maybe he shouldn't be put in that spot, but also maybe you trust your quarterback to not do that. So that's a strike against him. I just think he's been great this year, and I, I think he would be my number two because there's he was he was so good last game. Like, I just watched that. I watched clips of and sped through that game against Oklahoma. But, again, 100 yards rushing, two touchdowns. He was, he was tough. 
um, when it mattered in that game too. But he also passed well too. Just twelve to twenty-one, he threw an interception that was pretty bad, but like he made some big plays and he had to. And I just feel like you can trust that guy. Which I'm not sure you could probably find things to pick at for every one of these guys here too. By the way, race for Big Twelve leading passer. Jared Diggy has a seven yard lead on Brock Purdy. Mm. Gotta finish big, but two pretty civ defenses coming up for him. Absolutely. Um speaking of, I'm gonna do kind of a rapid fire because we have several people who asked like eight questions at a time. I don't know if we want to address all eight from each of them, but a couple in there that, that we can talk about on here and I'll answer the others written form. Um this one, WVUG thirteen. Are we sure Kansas is the easier game of the two? Not now. <laughs> I mean, your 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 backfield mate is is out for the game, so that really no. sets Texas back if they're going to rely on you. That's sad. I really want to watch him play because yeah. he's fun to watch. He he. But this is probably the the consequence of playing the way he does. We had no Bijan Robinson, and they're they're pretty thin in the backfield too, if I remember correctly, behind him. So I'm not, I'm not even sure how healthy his backups were because they were down to their what, their fourth guy late against Kansas. Um, the only thing with Kansas is that they might have won their big game for the year. Like they're not going to be 0 and 9 in the Big 12. They're not going to be winless again in the FBS now. So I wonder how much they can keep going. But that coach seems like he's got them plugged in. They've been close a couple times. They've been far away a couple times too, but. They um they had every opportunity to fold up and go away in that game, and they're going to have a home game to end the regular season. That's going to be tougher now than it was 48 hours ago for sure. And Texas is a mess, but Texas can score points, so that's going to be tricky too. Well, I saw uh, the converted quarterback who ate up West Virginia a couple years ago. wasn't it, Wasn't Roshan Johnson a quarterback originally? Was that yeah, the guy that yes. was? Yeah. And then he converted to to running back and ran for 120 yards against West Virginia two years ago. Um, he looked like I think he was the third string back this year. So maybe see a little bit of him and uh, yeah. But I'm with you. I mean, it's just it's a big drop off from Robinson, and they seem to have a lot of issues. I mean, they basically have one one wide receiver that they trust right now, and he looked like he was hurting the entire Kansas game, and they yeah. still target him. God, what were they saying like 20 sometimes in a game? 20 some targets. Oh, you can did they really? I watched the game, the, the volume was off, but yeah, the, the wow. talk, about, talk about throw me the damn ball, right? That that's what I'm talking about right there. True freshman too. Yeah. So and that like that's the one guy they trust. Xavier Worthy. Yeah, he ended up with 14 catches, but they were saying he got targeted 20 sometimes and true freshman and he was hobbled. So is he going to be healthy for this weekend? Can he be targeted 20 sometimes again? I think it if you target one receiver against West Virginia 20 sometimes, West Virginia will take that. I, I, if, you, if you tell me that they target Worthy 25 times on Saturday, I'm going to tell you that West Virginia won the game. Mm. Kansas plays at TCU. Winnable? I think so. I'm, 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 I'm ready to drive that Jalen Daniels bandwagon. I'm ready. You're a fan. I, I was a fan. I said it, I said it in my rankings uh, two weeks ago when he finally got on the field. I said, I remember this kid as a freshman last year, and he looked okay. I wonder why they haven't uh, – you know, I'm not privy to the inner workings of Kansas football, so I was curious why he hadn't gotten more of a shot, especially being so young. Um, so I, you see little little kernels of, of ability there, and I don't know. You know, it's only two games, so let's not get crazy, but um, looks like a pretty good player. So 
Well, here's the uh, here's the trick, though, Chris. They want to redshirt him. Oh, and he does not. He's played in three games. Have we did we not just have this discussion? But like they they are, and like after the game, they asked. I'm trying to find the link now in my head here, but like they asked Leopold about it, and he was like, "Well, we'll figure this out. I'm not sure, but we we would like to redshirt him." They just won at Texas with this guy, and this may be like a program defining thing. But they're talking about. We'd like to redshirt him. That would be the most Kansas thing ever. I mean, imagine. So, so here's your thing: if West Virginia, you get Texas tenderized coming to town, and you get the Kansas backup quarterback because they just played their guy for the fourth game and they don't want to play him against. They don't want to break his redshirt. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, amazing. Um, also from WVU G13, do you think Crowder gets a series in the, each of the next two games, like uh, Green does? By the way, Daniels has played in four games. My bad. Um, I don't know we're going to see Green this weekend. I think Brown called him doubtful, right? Yeah, he said it sounded like it would be would be further along. I mean, I, I think uh, somebody else asked me this. And again, it, it, I hate to really have to address this, but it, a lot of people, oh, yeah, in the portal. And, and, and hey, this, this is uh, for the uh, capital S sources listening. This is how... This is why the saying saying someone's sick and then they're transferring two days later when everybody already knows they're transferring. This is how that backfires. Nobody can trust you. And when you say a guy's hurt, everybody just assumes that he's in the portal, uh, that he's leaving, that this is this is some big quarterback controversy, some big fight, some big argument. And that's not what this is. Um, And I hate to, you know, kind of go into too many details here, but he got banged hard in that Oklahoma State game right at the end, hit right in the helmet. And did not practice all week. You, you, I mean, the implication here is that he was in protocol of some sort for concussions or head injury, whatever you have to do for in college to make sure that they're ready to go. And I was told it would be one game, you know, but then again, it's always, hey, you got to test and see how they're doing. Test how they, they got to pass the test. Who knows if he's going to pass the test, maybe, or maybe just say, hey, it's not worth it. Keep him out for a couple more games just to be safe because this is this is a serious thing that we're talking about here. And so who knows with him whether he's going to play. Sorry to go on a tangent there, but that just this is what happens when you say some guy's sick and he's obviously transferring. And now every time you see, you know, boy who cried wolf. Now every time you say somebody's injured, everybody's going to assume he's transferring. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No, good. I don't think I could have said it better myself there, too. Um, so even if he plays, um, I don't know. Like, it, we'll see. But the Crowder thing is interesting. And I just, I can't, I mean, having watched Brown handle it this season, I can't believe he's going to play Crowder. I just, I just, I don't don't think it's going to happen. Like, there was no spot for Crowder on the road against Kansas State. I understand that. I'm not sure you play them against Texas, and, and then you know we'll see after that. Their season may be over when they go to Kansas, so you might have a whole kitchen sink on the horizon there if they lose. So that's good. But like right now, they the 2022 does not matter. It just doesn't. Like they have to figure out a way to get the six wins in the regular season, and giving away a series for Will Crowder just so he can get his feet wet. Like honest, honestly, like what is he going to do with one series? At what point in the future is one series a game, one series a half? the next two games going to benefit him in the future if he's your future. It's not going to. I mean, hey, I got in against Texas four years ago. I got this situation 
um, two minute drill against Oklahoma. It doesn't matter. It's, it's it's a thing that makes Brown look like he's willing to do stuff that he's being accused of not doing. Tangibly, I don't think a, a series for Crowder just to play him does anything. Now I say that <laughs> watch him come in and just light it up and march down the field and score against Texas when you have a problem. But uh, I'm realistic and thinking that probably isn't going to happen. I'm with you. What 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 is the benefit of tossing him out there for one series, and in, in this game or the next? Because I don't. He, he, while he is mobile and he he has shown the ability to run the ball, uh, especially I mean in high school at least, I don't think he's such a drastically different. He doesn't have a drastically different skill set like Green does. He doesn't provide a completely different look, a change up for the offense to to throw at the defense. So really, you're putting him out there for what? Like you know, if you're putting him out there, it needs to be because you think he's the better option, or because you're just preparing for next year. Period. Like it doesn't need to be for one series to try to switch things up. I think. Um, so I do not expect him. I was told for the um, the last game, you know, it was Crowder's going to be the backup, but he's not going to play unless it it there is injury or a complete and total blowout. So I expect that to remain the same moving yeah. forward. Now, listen, if they if they lose Saturday to Texas and you're four and seven, you can't make a bowl. I would I would think long and hard about what you do with Green and Crowder in that game. I just would because at that point you have a chance to get answers that you really have to have. Like you, you have to have answers by the time that you get Marquio, Green, and Crowder in the camp together. You have some, I think, on Green already. You have none on Crowder apart from that he can beat up on you know the scout team and developmental guys on Mondays. That's good, but. It'd be nice to know some things you work on or you have or don't have. So if they lose Saturday, then there probably isn't a reason not to, like I said, go kitchen sink against Kansas. Because, again, finishing five and seven doesn't matter. Again, this is this is related to the discussion here. This is from C. Hush. Um, if Brown does not play Crowder or, or Garrett Green in the last two games, can we assume that Daggy will be back? Do you think that's related? Um, no, because I think the coaches might be like that. He might. Um, if they win Saturday, you're going to see a ton of Daggy against Kansas yeah. because they have a chance to get to a bowl game. That's going to matter. Like, that's all they have left this season. And just the ignominy of not having a bowl bid is, is going to be a bad thing. So you, you go with it and you do what you can. Then you have the question about who starts the bowl and who plays in the bowl or how do you do the bowl? Because you're going to get a couple of practices where you're probably inclined to give Crowder some action, I'm sure, or to give Green some action, I'm sure. So, um, I, I wouldn't say that one has to do with the other there, too. I would also say that you're probably not going to see Garrett Green or Jared Dagey here next year. Does it change Does it change if um, they lose Texas? You think they, they start rolling in Crowder or Green if he's healthy for Kansas a lot? I think you might see a, a change in the starter there. It's not a home game. You yeah. don't have to worry about you don't have to worry about Dagey getting serenaded with booze and you deserves it. <laughs> Um, at home in his final game at Beyond the Road. You have nothing to lose and a whole lot to gain at the end of a loss season. That's a rare opportunity for a, – seriously, if you if you find you've got a quarterback at the end of a 5-7, and 4-8 and eight season, like if you just show people something, that's kind of one of those things that I think you do have to consider as a positive. Like what what good can you kind of gather, scoop up at the end? And if, if you played a quarterback and you got some answers, you got people excited – that's one of those off-season things that we're talking about. I think that would be a good idea. I'd be surprised if it didn't happen at that point. If they lose Saturday and Daigie starts against Kansas or plays a ton against Kansas, um, that would be incriminating, I would think, wouldn't it? Yeah. You want to ready to switch to basketball? Just mm-hmm. a couple ones. Um, 
from Iceman 1982. Does Curry take over the starting point guard spot sooner than later, or is he better suited coming off the bench? I have no idea. Because the stuff I had heard on him was that he wasn't driving and wasn't a very good shooter and was just you know, was good defensively and had a great attitude, but that offense wasn't there. And he put his head down and, and remembered he was left-handed and made some layups, and that was a really good performance by him. By the way, he was not 5-for-5. Five five. They had him at 5-for-5 five five in the box score. He had a shot blocked. I don't know why I'm picky about that, but like he's 5-for-6. But hey, five layups was really good and, and went after it. Can he do that every game? I don't know. And what happens when teams realize he's not a very good shooter? It's going to be hard to stop him um, if, he, if he's got space. But if you don't give him the space because you're not worried about his jump shot, that'll be different. And then what does he do with distribution, You know, passing, assisting, things like that? That'll, that'll come over time. But I'm also not sure what you have in Kedrian Johnson yet, too. I do know he had seven steals. And I think this remains true for a while, that the point guard does not have to be Javon Carter or Miles McBride offensively. It just has to be a person who doesn't hurt you, isn't a zero or a minus, uh, can make free throws, can get you a layup, but also plays defense, rotates, gives energy, and just, just makes his minutes matter. And there's a way to get to 40 there, 40 minutes with those two guys. Uh, I, I think they're both going to play a lot, probably pretty close to even. And you go hot hand. I mean, if, if you play them both like in the first 10 minutes and Curry makes a shot, you probably play him like the, the 26 minutes that night. And if it starts off that Johnson's good and maybe he makes a three and then Curry doesn't quite have it, then maybe maybe Keidre and Johnson gets the 26 minutes that night. But to answer the question, I don't know. I think it's something to watch. Ultimately, I don't know how much it matters because if you get consistent play from both of them, it's going to be good. And as you always say, your, your crunch time five, your closing five, that's much more important. And defensively, they're going to have an answer. Both those guys look like they're going to be good defensive players. Johnson, they knew was going to be good. They weren't so sure about Curry. And Curry so far has played pretty well defensively in two games. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, it doesn't matter um, as far as who's a starter because that's been that's been my thing for like a few years. I'm more, I'm more obsessed with the closing five than the starting five, especially with the way Huggins does things. I mean, don't, don't you guys remember that was it Jordan McCabe like started – a bunch of games would play like seven minutes and then be done for the day. And that was it. Um, I don't think now, I don't think that's going to happen to, to Johnson. Uh, maybe it happens a couple times a game or a couple times this season, you know, where he, maybe he gets in foul trouble or does something stupid. Um, and, and you see Huggins kind of just pulling, but I think uh, it's going to be split pretty evenly. I, I think yeah, either way, you kind of have a guy that, that brings a lot of energy off the bench. So I don't think it's one of those situations where you want that guy that's a spark off the bench. Cause I think both of them are a spark. Both of them can be a spark at least. Um, Curry had, like I said, a great game offensively as well in the second game, not so much in the first game. So w- which one is it? I don't want us to get too recency biased here, but I think you're going to get four, as you said, you're going to get 40 minutes out of these guys. Sometimes it's going to be 26-14 in favor of Curry. Sometimes it's going to be 25-15 in favor of, of Keedy Johnson. So I don't think it matters, but I think over the long haul, you're going to see these guys split a bunch of time. Personally, I believe it's going to start trending more towards Curry, but I do think Keedy's going to be an important part of this just because of the, the pest, pest defense that he plays. Yeah. I mean, they're in a good spot there. They weren't sure, but I think they, they can be in a good spot. Um, speaking of the closing lineup from WVUG 13 this week, the team is probably going to need to use their closing lineup. What do you think it will be? So the five is interesting 
Mm-hmm. Because Osaboyan's offense is probably closer to what it was last year than what it, they want it to be or they think it can be. And the free throws would concern me. Um, Cottrell, Cottrell doesn't really rebound. And we'll see defensively with him. And then Paula Cap and, and Kerrigan, you might lean on them because you're going to get protection around the rim and, and that. But also, like, you might just risk it with Osaboyan because he does a lot of other good things to the five. So that's a tough one. Uh, two, three, four, no question for me. Right. McNeil, Sherman, Bridges. Bridges was pretty encouraging performance um, out of a, a discouraging start against Pitt. He hasn't been shooting it very well, and I think that they they were worried about that bugging him in other parts, and maybe that was rebounding and defense, but he blocked shots, he rebounded, he, he got it together in that game. That was encouraging to see. So I have no worries there. And then your point guard, again, I think it's just hot hand and who does it. Now, maybe across the, co- the course of the season, maybe – Maybe Johnson's a finisher, and he and you know he can work shot clocks, ball screen, layup, or drive free throws, positive possession. Maybe he can do that. Perhaps Curry does that. I don't know. We'll see on that one. So for the time being, it's probably who's had the best game and who's in the best situation. If the other team has a good point guard, um, you may lean toward defense. If the other team is big. You may want Kedrian Johnson out there if he's got a big point guard against him at the end of a game because he's longer, quicker, and he can guard against drives. It just depends right there. But um, we'll see. And I guess to answer your question, that's the point of these games here, too, is that you got to figure these things out, too. Starting lineups, whatever. But you're right. We're focused on the final fives, and they have four or five players to focus on in two spots. And these are going to be audition opportunities for them because there will come a time where you got to know the answer to that question. I don't think we have to have it now, and I don't clearly – but there's going to be a time where you're in conference play and you're on the road, you're at home, and you got 90 seconds left. And hey, one, two, three, four, five, go out there, do that thing you know how to do because you did it in games in November, and we got some wins because you understood your your role and how to execute. Go do it again right now. That's got to happen now. So that's but that's a positive. That's that's a challenge for sure. But that's kind of why these opportunities exist. Um, I'm going to try to try. I, I'm going to try to find this story I wrote a couple years back, and if I if I find it, I'll put it. I'll link to it in the written form of this mailbag. Because your point about this basically being an audition is 100% correct. Because that that's what Huggins does. That's what Huggins has done for years. Um, there was a story I did where I looked at the minutes played and how many players were on the court through um, you know the November and December games, and then once Big 12 and compared it to once Big 12 play uh, starts, it, it drastically changed. Like, mm. it, it, it's it's a pretty significant. Uh, you know, tightening of the rotation once West Virginia got the Big 12 play. So, yeah, this is kind of an audition. Yeah, they're trying to figure things out. And and a lot of that has to do with the fact that most of the games that you're playing in November and December are not exactly top-tier competition. Uh, I mean, yeah, you end up with a couple of those uh, really tough opponents in these uh, early season tournaments. But for the most part, most of these non-conference games are, uh, you know, what Eastern Kentucky Beller Bellarmine, however you pronounce it, uh, you know, game games against teams that are just not going to be in postseason contention and, and you can play other guys. But you put me on the spot right now and asked me to pick five. I, I do think, like I said, two, three, and four just aren't even up for the debate. Uh, one, I might be leaning towards Curry in five. And like it really in all three situations we haven't seen too much of polycap he hasn't played as much but are any of those guys providing any offensive spark 
I mean, maybe Cottrell, maybe. I mean, he, ha- he hasn't done much yet. But you, I, I think I might go Gabe just for the ability to kind of switch and play defense. Um, and again, especially if Bridges is going to get long around the rim the way he had in the pit game. I like it. It's something to monitor. I'll definitely keep my eyes on that. Yeah. Um, anything else you saw in the mailbag that you definitively wanted to discuss on the pod? No, I think that's that's a robust conversation there about some things that people probably don't want to talk about, but probably are curious about. I'm ready to talk more basketball, so I think we'll probably do that during this week, too. So I'm glad we got some basketball questions in there as well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That basketball and recruiting are going to start, I don't want to say taking over, because, again, we got two more two more games at least for football, and whether they go to a bowl game or not, I think there's going to be a lot of discussion about the current makeup of the program. Um, players, coaches, staffers, everything. So it's not like football is going away, but just more on the plate right now. It is. Speaking of more on the plate, what about more on the site here? Um, lots of basketball to spill into the weekend. Um, we'll get Neil Brown Tuesday. Lots of Texas to talk about. I mean, it just feels so strange that Texas isn't a very big deal. I don't, and, and that's not fair to anybody involved here, but just feels like that this is not what was supposed to happen. And I'm still trying to wrap my head around that, but I'm trying to figure out where the excitement is and what people want to read about or write about. So, Hey, if you have some tips, throw my way too. Uh, and then basketball Thursday, Friday games and the tournament will have Bob Huggins on a zoom on Wednesday. Um, what's up your sleeve, Chris? Uh, later today, I'm going to be putting up uh, Mountaineers most wanted one month from today. Um, early signing period starts December 15th is when that starts three days. December 15th through the 17th, where guys can sign uh, with their programs uh, between now and then. Again, this weekend is going to be a big weekend for unofficial visits. Might sneak a guy or two up on official visits. We'll cover that later in the week. And then, um, no, I'm not hiding things right now. I'm just saying they're debating and discussing whether to have official visits this weekend. I think it's probably going to wait, and you'll see it mostly be those first couple weekends of uh, December, the two weekends leading up to the 15th. So like the, the weekend of the fourth and the weekend of the 11th, uh, big recruiting weekends, those will be And So I want to break it all down, uh, situation, what's left, who they're targeting, what the plan is, where they're going to be looking for transfers and a couple names, maybe at each position to keep an eye on for that. Oh, can't wait. Mm-hmm. Oh, you, you, are you, have you renewed your recruiting guru license yet? Well, COVID, it got renewed automatically. Oh, so that, that's true. I am going to have to take some steps to make sure I earn the renewal this year. <laughs> I got laminated, though. It was pretty cool. There you go. All right. Until then, I am Mike Kazaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you next time.